Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hi, and it is such a pleasure to welcome you here today. I'm so glad you're filling your mind, filling your brain, filling your awareness with wonderful, inspiring, uplifting ideas. And this is one of the places you get them and you have a chance to immerse yourself in concepts and inspiration and wisdom that can make an enormous difference in your life. I'm so glad to welcome today one of the people that's really had an enormous impact on our whole understanding that spirituality isn't just spiritual. (laughs) We're learning through her work that spirituality is not just physical. It is literally shifting genes, hormones, and neurons in your brain. She is Dr. Lisa Miller. She is the author of several books, including The Awakened Brain. She is a professor and founder of the Spirituality Mind Body Institute at Columbia University, and she's also authored over a hundred peer-reviewed articles on spirituality and mental health, especially in youth and family. She is also the editor of the Oxford University Press Handbook of Psychology and Spirituality and editor-in-chief of an APA journal called Spirituality in Clinical Practice. Lisa, I am so thrilled (laughs) to be connecting with you today. Thanks for being here. Dawson, I'm so appreciative. I'm so honored. And thank you for what you are putting into our world, a voice of renewal, a voice of health, a voice of deeply integrated human being. Well, it is so amazing to me and exciting to me that as we are doing these things, which of course, spirituality has always been thought of as kind of a private practice and something you do for yourself and maybe you feel better afterwards. And what your work, as well as people like Richard Davidson and Andrew Newberg, I've done a lot with Andrew Newberg. I'm publishing a study with him soon. And what this is doing is showing us that These practices, some of these very old practices, some very new ones, but they're having dramatic effects in in our bodies. And your book, The Awakened Brain, conveys this in a way that is accessible and exciting. (laughs) So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Justin. And I'll say that it really was a passion of mine to having seen 25 years of science that says beyond the shadow of a doubt that every one of us is a naturally spiritual being and that when we realize this capacity for awakening our lives unfold in a far more optimal way a far more fulfilling deep running way i had to take this body of work from our lab and fellow labs out of the ivory tower and share it with people who are committed to health and flourishing many of whom help others along in the walk of health and flourishing So this has been a passion to empower and equip people already doing holistic 
healing wellness work to have one more arrow in their quiver. And it turns out this arrow hits the bullseye, that spirituality actually is the core, the hub of the wheel for the whole person health. And one of the things that I think is pretty powerful is because you began your career in studies with children, then you saw that initial correlation between depression and spirituality. So go ahead, that was one of the first big clues. Go ahead and share that journey of discovery you had there with us. So, you know, Dawson, I had noticed on the inpatient unit, on the outpatient unit, that people who are struggling with depression, people who are in times of great pain, had an entirely different path of recovery when they had a strong spiritual core. So this was something, I mean, it was undeniable. I had a student, well, I'll tell you a story. I had a young patient, her name was Ileana, and she came in all by herself. She was 13 years old. This little, you know, pre-new teen is sitting in the waiting room, hunched in a little ball. Mm. She was there with good reason. She had adored her dad. Her dad was her son and her moon and everything. And one night as her dad ran a corner store, uh, two men who he knew came in and robbed him and murdered him. And it broke her heart. She, her world collapsed. It absolutely shattered her and fell inward. And months and months of therapy were not making progress using treatment as usual, the usual methods of treating depression in a young person. Until one day she came literally hopping into treatment, skipping. This young woman had been weighted as if there were an anvil on her back. And she said, Dr. Miller, Dr. Miller, you're never going to believe this. And I said, what? Tell me, Ileana, please. She said, well, you know, I haven't been allowed out of my house since my dad passed. I haven't been allowed to go to parties. I haven't been allowed to go to friends' houses. I haven't been allowed to talk to boys. But finally, finally, I was chaperoned by my uncle and his girlfriend. And I went to a party. And for the first time, I met. The most wonderful boy. He was so polite. He was so handsome. And we must have talked 20 minutes. And I said, well, tell me more. She said, well, here's the best part. Guess what his name is. And I said, tell me. And she said, well, his name is, and we'll call him Hecker, a extremely unusual name for her community. Less than one in a thousand gentlemen would be named Hecker in her community. Don't you see? He has the same name as my father. Hmm. My father sent him. My father's looking out after me. And from that moment, Dawson, she shifted. She awoke in a way that I had never seen in her. Because she knew, she could feel in her heart that her father still protected her, still watched over her, and that she was never alone. That was a spiritual pivot point. And because she was able to understand that the deep transcendent relationship with her father would endure, she rejoined the world of the living. There was nothing in classic therapy that could have done that. And in fact, a therapy that just nodded respectfully and took the air out of that would have been harmful. I atrogenic harm made her worse. Yeah, yeah. And those kinds of connections people make in their minds can be highly meaningful and highly significant to them. And when I'm training clinicians, I say, is her father really looking out for her? Does it matter 
therapeutically it matters. That's what counts, not objectively whether that's true or not. So you ask yourself, what, are the, what is the value of these experiences? And to the patient, they are so incredibly impactful. They can make that, that kind of a shift. So now just let's do a little bit, let's do a thought experiment over here. And let's use Oleana as our model and tell us what's likely going on in Oleana's brain and also in her genes. <laughs> People often say to me, am I a spiritual person? And I don't even need to turn my head. The answer is yes. Every single one of us is an innately spiritual being. So in Ileana's case, I can share with you that like every young adult, young teen, her age, 13, she is born with a natural seat of spiritual awareness, what I call an inborn awakened brain. Every one of us has a awakened brain, but it is one third innate, two thirds cultivated, two thirds environmentally formed, which means that our parents and grandparents, our coaches and teachers and 10,000 exchanges at school and pastor, pastor, priest, or imam, rabbi, all weigh into shape 70%. The spiritual core is a rich environmental embrace. Religion, whether I am Hindu, Jewish, Catholic, Muslim, Christian, spirit, whatever my religion may be, religion is not innate. Religion is a gift of our environment, our parents, our grandparents. Religion is actually 100% environmentally transmitted. The sacred texts, the ceremonies, community, the service. It is often the rich embrace for 70% of people onto their spiritual core. But spirituality is our birthright. So Ileana had the very same natural awakened brain that every other young woman and man has. We all have it. There's one awakened brain. We all have it. There is naturally human variability, as there would be with music or math, and there naturally is the capacity to strengthen our awakened brain, the 70% environmental embrace. But she had it like everyone else. So that's the first point. We all have it. We're all genetically endowed as such. And to your other half of the question, what does it look like? Well, we asked people to come into the fMRI, the functional MRI, as you know well, the movie camera MRI that tracks blood flow, and tell us about a time where they had a profound connection with the sacred, the transcendent, the higher power. And for some people, you know, Ken Wilber has a beautiful structure. For many people in the Judeo-Christian tradition, whether or not they're highly religious, they feel that they talk to God, they perceive a deeply known answer. That is a dyadic discussion, a transcendent relationship with God, the higher power, that is a dialogue. I turned to God for guidance, and the guidance came. It's a seat of perception through which they know that they are in a relationship with God. For people from the Eastern traditions, rather than a dyad, as Ken Wilber says so beautifully, there tends to be a unitive sense. I am one with all existence. I am one with the universe. And that felt sense is in the first person. I am of the universe. I am the universe. First person, Eastern, second person, Western. In our rich indigenous traditions, there's often what might be called a third person awareness of the transcendent relationship. Spirit, God, Wananichi, is in sun, in wind, in water, in crow. Whether we downstream conceptualize of the perceived experience, whether we downstream 
say it is in the first, second, or third person. Upstream, there is the same neuro docking station, the same patch in the captor's net through which we perceive and know a transcendent relationship. And that has four components. The first and only the first of the four is shared in common with mindfulness. We stop the racket. You know, is the check going to clear? Why did he say that to me? What am I going to say back? That is disengaging the default mode network. The next three, mindfulness, for instance, can bring us present so that we might then cross the threshold to the next three. We are aware that we are loved and held by our transcendent relationship. Whether it is the universe holds us, or God walks with me, or crow oversees and brings what I need, this felt, loved and held awareness is mirrored in the fMRI by blood flow to the bonding network. The second component is that we move from a top-down dorsal to a bottom-up ventral attention network. Why did he say that to me? What am I going to do? How am I going to get that to flow? The bowling alley vision gives way. The lights come back on, the floodlights, and life is reanimated, the ventral attention network. So many people then say a new direction prompts, loved and held, guided. And finally, the parietal that puts in and out our boundaries that lets you know that you are Dawson and in your zipped up fire body suit and I am Lisa in mine and we have our GPS coordinates and we are a point and a wave. I say to my students, white caps on one ocean and the green, the unit of reality as well as the particulate reality of distinction. That is the parietal allowing us to feel and know both are true putting in and out our boundaries so that we are loved and held guided and never alone. Again, all different faith traditions, spiritual but not religious, the same core circuits run. That is our awakened brain, and it's there for all of us to engage, to experience. And this is the absolutely crucial message of Lisa's book, and also of this whole body of work emerging now in neuroscience, you're hardwired for this, okay? You don't have to go away and try and get some of this. You don't have to try and develop this. This isn't something which you have to go and and create through personal effort or personal development classes or practice. You have the stuff hardwired in your head already. And that's the big message we want you to get today is that it's there. You just have to learn to switch it on. And what Lisa said, I'm just going to go ahead and recap a really important point she makes. So you think about, she talks about these two networks, the dorsal network and the ventral network. Those are just fancy anatomical names. Dorsal, think about the center part of your brain. And Bessel van der Kolk, my dear friend who wrote The Body Keeps the Score, calls that the mohawk. <laughs> so think about your mohawk over here. And I call the ventral your hat band, okay? So it's your hat band around the sides over here especially the prefrontal cortex, but it goes all the way around the structures in the back. So when we are self-absorbed, when we're depressed, when we're reflective and ruminative and we're all caught up in our own story, when we look at people in the MRI who are in that space, they're all about the mohawk. When we put monks and nuns and people who are having transcendental, transcendental experiences into that same scatter, we find the hat bands active. So you've got that hat band it is hardwired in your skull. What we're highly motivated, what Lisa, me, and a whole bunch of other people in the space are, 
highly motivated to do is make you realize you have that hat band. You just have to turn it on. And when you do, again, her dichotomy over here is spirituality and depression. That's the big thing she found in that story of Ileana and literally huge numbers of people that have been studied is you just have to turn this, this on and make that flip and you have the anatomy to do it. Just go ahead and find the practices that will trigger it for you. So I'm going to just, uh, I, I want to just. That's such an important point that you're making. That's such an essential point to flip it on, to choose to flip it on. And it turns out that even depression can potentiate our desire and our reach to turn it on. The depression's not our enemy, and it's certainly not lost time. Depression, it turns out, can actually be the ignition that's beckoning us to engage our awakened brain that is actually a developmental opportunity, a developmental depression for spiritual awakening. So over our lifetimes, depression and spirituality weave together in very profound ways that suggest that in some ways, we're even looking at two sides of one coin. For instance, we looked at people who at 26 years old said, my personal spiritual life is highly important to me. I turn to my higher power. I feel at one with the universe. People whose awakened brain was very much strengthened. And we said, hey, how'd they get there? And then we looked back a whole decade, 26, all the way back, 20, all the way down to 16, 10 years. We found that they were two and a half times more likely to have suffered and struggled with depression over the past 10 years to then realize, hey, what is life showing me now? What is God, my higher power, the universe, asking me to feel and know now? There is, in depression, oftentimes an invitation to knock the door for a deepening of our awareness, to engage the awakened brain. And once it's formed in this study over those 10 years, from 26 to 38, we are 75% less likely to have a recurrence. And that goes up to 90% when we are otherwise at high risk. High risk because our lives are being hailed on by stress factors, financial strain, problems and struggles in our family. Perhaps we're due to heredity at risk. The more at risk we are, the more protective is the engagement of depression to awaken our spiritual awareness. Mm. So those very things that we think of as being our impediments can actually be those things that help move us into an awareness of these states. Yeah, you know, I, when I've done quite a bit of work looking at the studies of monks and nuns, and people think, oh, that's their, you know, they had just this wonderful cloistered life. You get into it and you discover that many of them actually had very, very difficult lives earlier on and that they, it has not been all roses for them, and that often was the spirit to them, them seeking those transcendent states, and then moving on. Say, they're built just like us. They're not tapped on the head and different from us, you know? I mean, to your point, we all have this. So I think that you're raising this notion of, you know, in our society, there's often the view that I will never be able to be as spiritual as other people. You are built as a spiritual being, and in your own channel, in your own walk, you will find your way in. And for some people, it's their faith tradition. For others, it's care of fellow living beings, being in nature. There's many ways in, but they all hit the same awakened brain. 
Yeah, and we'll explore some of those ways in some of the next segments of our talk together. Please stay tuned. We're going to a short break right now. We'll be right back. You're listening to Lisa Miller. Her book is The Awakened Brain. We'll return after a short break. Hello and welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. Isn't this amazing and exciting? My guest today is Dr. Lisa Miller and her book is The Awakened Brain. And as you can tell, we are incredibly excited by the way science is now validating things that have been in these realms of spirituality, the great tradition, mysticism for all these millennia. And now when we're putting them under the microscope and examining them, we're finding that they produce profound changes to your health and well-being. And as you can tell, we're wildly excited about these new discoveries. So please do check out the book. The book is a very easy read. She intersperses her own experiences throughout the book and explains the science very, very simply and compellingly. So please do check out The Awakened Brain by Dr. Lisa Miller. Lisa, let's go ahead and dive into an experience of The Awakened Brain. And I'm just going to tell our audience right now, it's not 10,000 hours. It's not vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience going into a monastery and sitting with, with a guru for the next 10,000 hours. There are things we can do that science is showing we can do immediately that shift our focus and our brain activity from that mohawk to that hat band and make us a lot happier quickly. So let's dive into our practice. Wonderful, Dawson. That's fantastic. So this is a practice told in the language of life. You are authorized to use your own words. And this is a very brief practice. As you said, this is actually less than two minutes. So I'll invite you now to take five breaths, close your eyes if you'd like, and to clear out your inner space. I invite you into your inner chamber to set before you a table. This is your table. And to your table, you may invite anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. Anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, ask them if they love you. And now you may invite your higher self, the part of you that is so much more than anything you may have done or not done, anything you may have or not have, your true eternal higher self. And ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your higher power, whatever word is yours, however you know, your higher power, and ask if they love you. And now with all of these people sitting here right now, 
What do they need to tell me now? What do they need to share? What do we need to know? When you're ready, I invite you back. This is your counsel, and they are always there for you. Who shows up may change depending on where you are in your journey, and you can ask what's on your heart. The capacity through which you engage in these transcendent relationships is your birthright. You have an innate capacity for awakened awareness. You have an awakened brain. And this is among the many practices that can immediately bring you into the transcendent presence in your own life, in your own words, as it is held in your understanding. That was so beautiful. And I was just, in my own imagining, bringing in all these guides and angels and saints and great masters. And I, so surprised, Lisa, I didn't get any kind of revolutionary revelation at all. All I got was, you are loved unbelievably. <laughs> and that's enough. <laughs> well, well, that's the ultimate, right? <laughs> you are loved, yes. And Dawson, you are deep in your practice. You had a radiance on your face. You expressed a brightness, a real sacred radiance. Yeah, you know, we're tracking people as they do this meditational work and this hitting those self-transcendent states over time. And it is so interesting what happens to them. And I'm so glad there's a whole branch of science evolving now to actually track people who are in these states and then and where they go. So it's it's... very important. I've been on an inpatient unit. I was in uh, Germany just within the past year. And a young fellow, a fellow in his maybe mid-20s, turned over my way and he came up to me and said, in English, thank you for that. I find it very reassuring. And I said, well, why? He said, because I have seen great trauma. I have suffered great trauma. And I find it very encouraging to know that that is mine. No one can ever take that away from me. So no matter what messengers came his way, what perhaps foibled or perhaps more egregiously longing messengers may have come his way, the birthright of direct transcendent awareness, his own awakened brain can never be taken away. No one on the outside can do that. Now, why this is so clinically relevant is that very often people who are struggling in despair, struggling with trauma, and we see this on our own campus of Columbia and Barnard, 40% of the students who come to our awakened awareness groups come with meaningful trauma that they had before they ever arrived on campus and concomitant with the trauma is spiritual injury. There was a time where I felt closer to my higher power. There was a time where I felt more worthy before God. There was a time where I felt the presence of the numinous, the sacred in nature, and now I feel blunted and cut off. Spiritual injury does not get treated by the runoff of treatment as usual. Spiritual injury beckons for a direct engagement. So using this science on the awakened brain, I've worked for three years with the United States Pentagon to support post-traumatic growth 
to support the spiritual core in over a million soldiers. This is how we're built, and the roadmap of science beckons points of intervention so that spiritual injury can actually be directly targeted. Spiritual growth, post-traumatic spiritual growth, can bring us to a point where we are actually even more than we were before. It's not just recovery. It is a form of renewal. Let's talk more about that after our next break, because PTSD takes all the headlines, and very few people are aware of PTSD, post-traumatic growth. So I'd love to hammer that gong equally loudly with you, Lisa. So <laughs> we'll talk about that after a break. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a short break, and we'll come back and share more with you then. Thank you. So glad to have you back. And again, our guest today is Dr. Lisa Miller. Her most recent book is called The Awakened Brain. Highly recommended. We want to inspire you. And we want to inspire you to practice these things. You will find they start to make an enormous difference. In some studies, we can pick up changes, anatomical and functional changes in the brain within a few weeks. So it's powerful to do this. It doesn't take a long time for your brain to start to respond to these kinds of, of wonderful shifts. And I'd like to move now into this whole question you raised earlier of resilience, and that some people, when they're faced with shattering experiences, they develop the symptoms of PTSD, flashbacks, nightmares, hypervigilance, avoidance, insomnia, and they have this whole, um, whole life-changing uh, shrinking from where they were and, and where they are now. For other people, those same experiences produce a very, very different outcome. And in fact, the most common result of trauma is in fact, people are resilient and do find new meaning in their lives. So let's go ahead and explore that whole, uh, the whole question of what happens and where we go after trauma. There's also there's very, very, very good news for people here. Every single one of us, no matter how I may be suffering, I could be someone who's quite symptomatic, has the opportunity through trauma to grow. There is PTSD, and so too there is post-traumatic growth, PTG. Sign colleagues, TSAI, looked at 3,000 plus vets, all of whom met criteria to be in this study for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. But the vets varied in how symptomatic they were. And what they found was when they really looked not only at pathology, but also at growth, that generally the more someone struggled, the more they were growing. And if someone then struggled even more, they were growing even more. And this tendency showed this big, beautiful U-shaped curve like an umbrella until we're so flooded with symptoms, we need support added support to move from PTSD to PTG, post-traumatic growth. But trauma does not shatter us irreparably. Trauma is the gateway through which there can be a deepening of our awareness. The old world as we know it does not hold, and there can be with the crack of the egg open. A lot of light gets in, an awakening, post-traumatic growth. Now, Tedeschi and colleagues said, well, what are the four predictors of having 
post-traumatic growth. And it turned out access to that very experience, putting it in words, sharing it in a group, and then shining the light of our awakened brain onto that very experience. Going back to that moment and welcoming in the higher power, God, spirit, the universe, the force of life, whatever one's word is. And then I saw that we both could be forgiven. And then I knew I was not to blame. And then I felt deep in my inner wisdom that I could be renewed. There is a deeper reshuffling of meaning that harmonizes with a wiser part of ourself. That is not the type of gains made by chip, chip, chipping away at the experience, ruminating over and over. That is a breakthrough, and it comes through an awakening, post-traumatic spiritual growth. It is there for all of us. We don't get better and then grow. Trauma is a gateway to awakening, to growth, to post-traumatic spiritual growth. And to frame your trauma that way, to have that perspective on your trauma completely changes the memory of it. So you find people who are stuck in PTSD is the meaning is just senseless tragedy. I remember one young veteran I worked with and his best friend had been killed and he drew the, he was a medic, he drew the job of cleaning his friend's uniform, which was covered in blood and body fluids. And it also smelled really bad after a week in the Iraq sun. And it was so triggering to him. And yet as we worked with him for a while, those layers of trauma just fell away. And I ran into him a few months later. He said, I'm so glad I got to clean the uniform before it went back to his next of kin back in the U.S. and mainland because I got a chance to express the love I felt for my cleaning that uniform. So his frame had gone from the worst day of my life, the first frame, to an act of love in the second frame. And it's just uncanny how people will completely see those same experiences, Lisa, totally differently once they made that shift. You know, the two-star general in the U.S. Pentagon, Chaplain Tom Soljum, speaks of this process as being bigger inside on the other side of trauma, that we are not the same. We are more. We have expanded our capacity for love, for forgiveness, to connect with the sacred and the transcendent. Those before whom we couldn't make eye contact, you know, look at in the eye, and we feel worthy before God, our higher power. This is a profound pathway of awakening, of spiritual growth, and it's there for all of us, but it takes direct engagement, love, care, a gentle process on the path. It can't just be viewed as something that's going to left really nearly pop up. It takes our loving and care. So again, I'm just speaking directly to all of those who are listening to us right now. Please don't feel as though your traumatic experiences were a wasteland or meaningless or simply suffering. You can come to perceive those through the lens of your spiritual journey as your openings, as the gateways to transcendence. And if you're sunk in suffering, and I know many people are, in fact, the number of 
The number of referrals to psychiatrists since COVID has, has doubled, according to figures by the APA. So so many people are, are stuck in suffering. And if we can just revisit our suffering in the way that Lisa's suggesting here, and these studies show that, in fact, it gives meaning to it. And then it becomes our spur. It becomes our fuel for transformation. So uh, see your suffering that way. Find ways of revisioning your suffering, reframing your suffering that way, and making it meaningful and a way in which you can move forward in your life, not as something you're fixed and stuck in, and you have to repeat that suffering for in perpetuity for the rest of your life. I, Dawson, that's so well put. And, you know, I have a story from an inpatient unit where I worked early on in my career. May I share that now? Go ahead. I had seen that in extraordinary pain, people who survived tremendous trauma, people with current episodes of suffering, there was a tendency on the inpatient unit with good, well-intentioned therapists, bright, hardworking therapists, that our models were not healing people. The, the very same people that were here in September were back by December. And so the revolving door of the inpatient loop, where some people had been admitted 16, 20 times. And so I started listening to the patients. And what I heard was, Dr. Miller, hey, Dr. Lisa, Will you come here? I'd come here and come here very rarely meant into my office. Come here meant to some tiny little corner hidden on the unit, you know, down the hall into the kitchen, back to the pots and pans, and there in the pantry. Dr. Miller, I'm being sent away tomorrow. I'm going upstate. They can't help me here, which is really kind of the end of the road after two dozen admissions. Will you pray with me? And I said, well, there's one answer. Of course, yes. And this woman was Catholic. She brought her rosary. I'm Jewish. She knew that. She didn't care that we were fellow faith traditions. And she started to pray in the way she had all her life. She said the rosary. And then I prayed in the way my mother taught me. We went back and forth, back and forth, until she said, now let's make a final prayer for each other. And she went first. She said, Dr. Miller went, she said, dear God, when I go, Upstate, please look out over Dr. Miller. And I, of course, prayed for her. Dawson and I went home. I saw my husband, went out to dinner, came back the next morning. Her bed was made and she was gone. That was the center of her strength, of her truth. That was the only center. The spiritual core is the head of the wheel of the whole person. On that note of compassion and love made manifest we'll take a break right now please stay tuned we'll be right back with more from dr lisa miller and the awakened brain Hello and welcome back. I am so glad you are doing yourself a favor of exposing your mind, exposing your awareness to positive messages, inspirational practices that have made a huge difference in your life, your well-being, and your health. So make sure you love yourself enough to fill your world with positive people, positive messages, positive media. It really can make a difference to your own health and well-being. 
and definitely you are required to get Dr. Lisa Miller's book, The Awakened Brain, and then apply those practices. Have a, a plan for applying these in your own life and seeing the difference it makes. And you will find that it makes a difference not in six months or a year. You'll start to see the changes really, really quickly. Lisa, I'd like to focus on this whole question of spiritual emergence you mentioned earlier, your own spiritual emergence that nobody saw when you were depressed many, many years ago, and also this whole idea of spiritual emergence C that Stanislav Grof first delineated in the 1970s and helped us realize that when people are in the middle of all this turmoil that proceeds and often precipitates a jump to self-transcendence, that it can look very, very strange to those around them. Please go ahead and just share with us what that whole world looks like, what it was for you, and then what that emergence looks like for most people, and what lies on the other side. Dawson, it is such an important point you're raising, because our culture has almost no roadmap for something that is hardwired into the deep core of who we are as human beings, which is there are growth spurts, spiritual growth spurts, written into our genes, written into our very composition. There are three bridges in life. Emerging adulthood, really it starts with puberty, not just age. Puberty, adolescence, emerging adulthood is the first growth spurt, the first bridge. The second is midlife, and the third is crossing the bridge to elderhood. Now we have so cheapened the extraordinary journey by calling these profound awakenings sophomore slump, midlife crisis. And, <laughs> and you're over the hill. <laughs> I mean, it is such a tragedy because these are opportunities for extraordinary awakening. This is when our awakened brain is primed to bring us into a deeper connection with the spirit in and through life, to love in a heart that is so huge and profound to show up for one another and see that others show up for us. We are loved and held, we are guided, and we are never alone. And we are primed in these moments to awaken. But the awakening is not easy. Often it is a longing, a yearning, an existential struggle that we experience because with the expansion of our spiritual capacity, with the hardwired expansion, body, mind, and soul, what is my meaning? What is my purpose? Says the 19-year-old, the 22-year-old. And I don't mean, am I going to be a doctor, a nurse, or a lawyer? I mean, my ultimate purpose as a soul on earth, as someone given life in the larger frame of what is the meaning of life. This is the existential longing that is hardwired into every young person. Now, some may articulate it that way. Some may say, everything is so stupid and people are so fake. That's an existential comment. Everything is so stupid. This is the knock at the door that beckons us to start to probe and grow. Science charts this growth spurt. We do so through longitudinal twin studies, through which we see from puberty to mid to late adolescence to emerging adulthood, a 50% increase in the heritable contribution, which means a biological clock. A surge is underway. When we support the teen and the young adult, walk by their side. Don't tell them what to do, but you can walk your walk and talk your walk spiritually. Tell our stories openly of when I was 19. We support the formation of the spiritual core. We say that the transcendent realm exists and is real, that you can access that through the road of trials, 
in practices, meditation, prayer, service, and oneness in nature, and that there is a language and a way in. We can show that to be the first person narrating of our lives, walk the walk and talk the walk. Again, at midlife, the question is not what is my meaning and purpose, but am I living my ultimate meaning? What is in my work, in my family, revealed of my true lived purpose? What is my spiritual footprint? And the third bridge, as we cross into elderhood, what is my living legacy? I don't mean my name on a building. I mean the reverberations of my life, the art of my life. This is a life on a spiritual path for which we are built. So I'll share with you, Dawson, bridge number one. If I were to think about when the awakened brain really started after, yes, 25 years of science, yes, published fairly recently, but when it started, it started when I was 19. Like every 19-year-old, primed and ready for a growth spurt, which kicks off as a hunger. What's the point of all life? And the trigger, often a trigger, from a life event that flips the switch. So I'm 19, I'm off at college, and also for the first time in my life, I fell in love. I completely fell in love. He was perfect. <laughs> I always wanted to date someone who looked just like this. He was so handsome. There he is. Can't believe it. And he was so interesting. And he thought I was interesting. And after three months, he said, you know, I love you. And if you love me, you love me. And then after five months, he broke up with me. <laughs> How can that be? Because two months ago, you said you loved me. And he said, well, I did. I meant that. I'm like, but now you don't? He's like, I don't feel that now. I'm like, you loved me and now you don't. Is love permanent? My mother loves me and she's always loved me. My father's love is uninterrupted and steel strong. How can love be impermanent? And if Johnny's love is impermanent, is Johnny impermanent? Are we to be counted on? Can we count on each other? Can we count on life? And it triggered what was my biologically, you know, body, mind, and soul prime journey into does life have meaning? Does, as I know, the transcendent relationship God exists? So I walked myself in an incredible downward spiral of excruciating depression into the mental health clinic, where I met a therapist who said, why have you come? And I said, my whole life, I had a real struggle. I'd felt close to God. I felt this joy written into life itself. And I feel nothing. And I wonder if God exists. And I wonder if life even has meaning. And she said, you wonder if God exists. Did your father leave when you were young? And I said, no, no, my father and I are very close. She wanted to understand spiritual emergence as somehow an artifact of a childhood dream. So I thought, this is not a match. I did what we should all do, find a new therapist, walk down the way, find a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapist, who said, listen, I hear you know if God exists. I hear you say you're cut off. Is it possible that you have low self-esteem? What are your thoughts about yourself? And I said, from the CBT model, I have to tell you, I feel just fine about myself. I wonder if God exists. And this went on and on until that summer, out looking out over the ocean, I saw light on the water and I felt this great love and I knew in my inner wisdom, of course, God exists. That is the misunderstanding, the lack of a roadmap in the broader culture and even mental health, that spiritual emergence is foundational to who we are, and it is actually the formation of the spiritual core through that journey that protects us down the road against addiction, depression, and even suicide. 
When that moment is harnessed in a young adult, we are at 80% decreased relative risk for a DSM diagnosis of addiction. We are 70% less likely to take risks, and in a meta-analysis, 82% less likely to take our life in this pandemic of suicide in youth when spiritual life is strengthened and shared. So this actually is the opportunity of the young person's lifetime. Mm. And so again, to everyone listening, seeing these passages of your life, that early passage, that midlife passage, that elderhood passage, as being those gateways to transcendence and to deeper meaning is a powerful revisioning of the process of becoming who you really are and can be. So see yourself in that positive light, see your struggles in the positive light. And Lisa, I'm so grateful to you for helping us revision ourselves in that way, helping us revision trauma, challenge, stress, all of these things that we think of as being our, our, our deficits, things pulling us down to actually being ways in which we can, we can emerge fully. I am so grateful for the way you show us how that works in, in body and brain. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your work. And I can't wait to see what neuroscience discovers over the next 20 or 30 years. Thanks again. Dawson, a total joy. And thank you for sharing this birthright. We are all built to awaken. We are all built with an awakened brain. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for being here. And again, go and apply these insights in your life. You can't imagine how much better it can be. Thanks again. Mm -hmm.